Welcome to episode 45 of Literary Disco, the best of 2013. Today's episode will be a games and best of extravaganza. We'll start by commemorating the end of 2013 with each of us adding a book to the Literary Disco Hall of Fame. We'll do a classics corner with two Ks, wherein Julia will try and stump us with a fake passage from a classic work of literature. Todd will try and convince us a non-poem is a poem through the magic of his poet voice. And then we'll do a year-end best of roundup with each of us selecting our favorite book from the disco this year and our favorite book that we read outside of the disco. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me are essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel and novelist and critic Todd Goldberg. Welcome, guys. Good morning. Where, where are all of us right now? Um, I'm at home. Julia, you're at home. I'm at home. Yep. And Ryder, Ryder where are you? I'm at my parents' place. But specifically, you are in your grandparents'? Yeah, my grandparents' room within my parents' house, which is now an, an empty room, sadly. Oh, is yeah. this going to be a is this going to be a moving episode? Or are we are we going to be able to make it through? This can't be like last year where we talked about where the red fern grows for like a half an hour. Yeah, it's... so that that's important. That, that's why I brought this up. I want to make sure we're all in a good emotional place because last year's best of was like best of reasons to go fucking kill yourself. We should actually maybe so. list our previous Hall of Famers. We should. We, uh, Todd, you put the Fifth Business by Robinson Davies. Robertson Davies, yes, I did. Robertson Davies, sorry. Uh, and Julia, you did Where the Red Fern Grows by Wilson Rawls. And I put in The Fool's Progress, an honest novel by Edward Abbey. And it was The Red Fern Grows that made us all right. burst into tears. I actually yeah. want to reread it. I remember when we talked about it thinking, I, I can't believe this actually functions as a book. It's just, <laughs> it just progresses I'm, towards sadness and death, and it's I, good for children. I read I a lot of books that I think, how does this actually turn into a book? <laughs> Do you guys remember, not only was it sad, but there was a part where the bad guy basically, like, fell onto an axe and his guts fell out? You remember that? No. That made a major impression on me as well. Good lord. Yeah. No. I do not remember that at all. Yeah, it's like the evil kids or something, right? They're other kids. It's another Yeah, they're like older bullies, I think. Like, teens. They're probably teens. he falls on an axe. (laughs) God. Why Why do children read this book? That's absurd. Uh, why wouldn't you want to read that? I mean, come on. Well, that's a good point. That's well, you know, this point. brings up something that, that maybe we should talk about, because we've gotten some crap, or I've gotten some crap on Twitter <laughs> and in our comments for hating YA literature. That's and, correct. And here's here's the truth. You do hate YA literature. I don't hate YA literature. I don't understand why we have a category. I don't um. get why YA literature is a category. I think books should be books. And yes, there's kids' books. Like I, I definitely think that you know there's age-appropriate reading up to like eight or nine. But I think basically when you can read by, by the age of like ten to twelve, when you can read anything, like when big words you know how to look up, like then I think books should just be books, and we shouldn't categorize them. So that's my whole argument. And like we've actually got into it a little bit on the show before, but like I just I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think? Is that I think possible it's or because to me it's a marketing ploy. It's it is. Just, a, it is a marketing ploy. I mean, it, it helps bookstores shelve their stuff, which you know is sort of irrelevant on the internet. But it also, I think, has to do with the same reason you have um, ratings in in movies, and I guess in in some regards in video games and TV shows now as well, where there might be 
themes that are not appropriate for an 11 year old but that being said then you read um you know flowers in the attic and you think who the fuck would ever let a 12 year old read flowers where the the red fern grows like we were just talking about like i mean i think the depth of the emotional sadness and where the red fern grows had way more damage you know did way more damage to me than it Right. When yeah. I was 10, oh, you know, like sure. it was like, you know, creepy and had some scary moments, but like where the red fern grows affected me as a kid. But and more. why and why literature now is, uh, is also probably more intense than it ever was, you know, yeah, so Hunger those, Games. those themes are still are still there regardless. I think this is all just a part of, you know, the American life is very long now and we're constantly subdividing. And I mean, 200 years ago, the idea of adolescence and teenagers was a very sketchy concept to begin with. So now that we are living to 80 or 90 or 100, we have these different periods of our lives that are becoming ever more defined by the culture, like tweens, teens, then driftless 20-somethings, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> which as, you know, 300 <laughs> years ago... Driftless 20-something is a great category of yes. book recommendations. I, I think yeah. they, like, they could have a, be all of... Every book that's come out of Brooklyn right. in the last 20 like, years. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> it'll, well, no, it'll also be like Kurt Vonnegut and Ayn Rand. Right. It's like the college books. Totally. You know? Yes. Oh, we could we Whereas... could totally recategorize entire Barnes & Noble with, with accurate depictions of what books are. Driftless 20-somethings. <laughs> women who decide to have sex with poets. Uh, Misogynistic <laughs> guys. Misogynistic right. old men. Oh, yeah. Former liberals who've become conservatives named Norman Mailer. You know, things like that. <laughs> I mean, 300 years ago, I'd be halfway to my deathbed, if not already dead by now from having kids so wow i wouldn't have time to read ya books because i'd be dead well but (laughs) the the reason i was thinking about this was that i just you know something somebody on facebook or whatever posted a link of like the 10 different types of literary snobs oh i I saw that and i thought of which one i am (laughs) all of them (laughs) no the only one that i really fit because i didn't fit the only one i really fit was the i never read ya literature one and i and and so i was reading it and it was talking about like how you know how you this literary snob judges people that read YA lit, and I don't at all. I I guess for me it's it's we, what's weird to me is how many people I know who are big readers who only read YA lit. Like they choose books mm-hmm. based on the fact that they're YA, and, and and so I you know like I've never read The Hunger Games, and I don't really judge anybody that that likes The Hunger Games at all. But like. I don't understand why. I mean, in a way, I guess it's like um, a defense mechanism for some people. They they almost would rat. It's how do I put this? They choose books that are YA because they know those books are just for fun. Yeah. As I opposed to I don't like, think that... feeling like they have to do homework by reading a, a grown up's book, and that sucks. And that's only because we have a YA category. It's but who, like, who reads Fault in Our Stars just for fun? I mean. You don't read that book thinking at the end, oh, you know what? That was that's going to be a great funny ride. You you read that for irrespective I, of our own opinions of it for its emotional punch you know but you, i think but i think like 30 somethings or 20 somethings that read fault in our stars pick it up because they hear it's popular and they hear that it's also uh younger than them like it's intended for somebody younger than them and in a way that relieves the pressure of like what a normal book if you pick a normal book in quotes but like if you go to the bookstore you're overwhelmed by your choices like the way we are told to read books in our culture is Lord of the Flies or 1984 and Brave New World and all these like books in high school or grade school and eventually college and we're told we have to like slog through difficult books in order to get something that means something in our lives and I think literature is super intimidating and so most people when they want to read something fun they're going to go to the YA shelf and like that's 
I don't know. I just wish that didn't happen. Like, I wish we could just take the YA label out of the equation. But Well, it might also be in some cases that most adults don't like to read about teenagers, you know? Just like most adults don't... Well, I mean, not most, but I, I think there's the issue of identification. So do you want to read about someone going through something at 17 when you recognize that the things you went through at 17 were largely impermanent? That, you know, they it doesn't really matter. It gets better, all that sort of stuff. And so there's there's that question of identification that comes in the literature. And that, I think that's also why young adults might gravitate more closely to young adult fiction, because they can't... They, if a 15-year-old boy picks up picks up a, a Margaret Atwood novel, picks up Cat's sure. Eye, all right? Let, let, we'll go for the extreme here. So a 15-year-old boy picks up a novel like Cat's Eye by Margaret Atwood, which is about... Oh, actually, Cat's Eye is a bad example because it is about children, but <laughs> whatever. Picks up a, a book by the, what would be its its general opposite, a, uh, a 50-something woman, you know, and mm -hmm. reading about a 50-something woman's problems, a 15-year-old is going to be like, that doesn't matter to me. That's like my mom's problem. And they can't identify or they choose not to. I'm not saying all 15-year-olds are going to be like this, but, you know, I, I think that's why the categorization exists so that a 15-year-old can find someone like themselves that they can learn empathy from i mean that's that's why we read is to understand empathy um mm -hmm. to to put ourselves in the shoes of someone else so i think it has its purpose i think it, it has its reasons for its categorization just like pop music or rock music or alternative or country or whatever so that people can find generally what they're looking for without too much trouble and i think that there's a f way fewer people than you think writer who only read ya the people that I know who read a lot of YA are like PhD students who are also, they're like, oh, I just need light reading or something I can read in a weekend. That's why they're going to that shelf. You know, I think, I mean, Todd and I both read The Hunger Games of Our Own Volition. Mm -hmm. And the books I have sitting here for what we're going to talk about today are really far away from that. So I, I think that it's it doesn't concern me, the preponderance of YA. I think it's just another piece of literature and better good YA than bad romance novels. Oh, gauntlet, gauntlet, thrown. Oh, oh, wait, are we walking through a gauntlet? Wait a minute, what's happening at the gauntlet? I never remember. Do you, throw, do you throw a gauntlet? But can or you, you then walk through it? a gauntlet? Or wait, do you drop it? Is that just I know the that clumsy version? No, I know there's a way where down. you run the gauntlet, and then there's you drop the gauntlet. Oh, hmm. gosh, I don't know. I feel like we talked about this on an episode once I was before. thinking that as well. <laughs> You guys are basically quoting yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what are we doing here? What's going on? We're doing a Hall of Fame. We're going to the Hall of Fame. Well, it's funny that you should rant about this, Ryder, because my Hall of Fame pick is actually somewhat related to this. My my Hall of Fame pick is The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. Yes. And I was thinking about The Giving Tree a lot this year while we read books, um, because we did a couple graphic novels, we did a couple YA and children's books and things of that nature, and, and then there's this conversation we're inexplicably having today. And I have had a copy of The Giving Tree in my house, in my life, every year of my reading uh, ability years. So wow. from about seven onward, I've had The Giving Tree. And I'll just take it off the shelf and read it, and I'll look at it, and I'll think about, you know, its larger messages. And it is it is a profoundly sad, as many Shel Silverstein books are, a profoundly sad book. Um, but it means more now to me than it did when I was, you know, six or seven or whatever. When I was a kid and I first read it, it was just about this tree that could talk and give apples. 
Um, and who doesn't like an apple? And now, you know, it's about the passage of time and about, you know, taking care of the things that are important to you and making sure that you don't take too much and that you have a reciprocal relationship with the things that you love and all those sorts of big things. And it's a book that I never get tired of looking at. I never get tired of looking at the simple drawings. And I was thinking about it in relation to my friend Dahmer and um, Golem, which we read, um, and, and how it, at Goliath. least... Uh, Goliath, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was thinking about how in Goliath, it's, it's basically Shel Silverstein-esque kinds of drawings, you know, just yeah. very simple mm -hmm. line drawings. Very. Um, and I think I even brought that up when we were when we were talking about it. But how the Giving Tree has stuck with me all this time, um, and so I'm I'm putting that one in the Hall of Fame. And I think if you haven't read the Giving Tree recently, if you're an adult and you think ah, it's just that book I give to uh, parents and they're having a newborn, because I do that. It's the book I give constantly to parents and they're having kids and they have books on their um, on their registry. Pick it up and read it. It'll take you 15 minutes, and it'll probably make you cry at the end, and you'll feel um, the weight of the passage of time and oncoming death in front of you. <laughs> well, and it just has such an ambiguous message of, you know, this tree gives everything to this child who takes advantage of it. And who's the protagonist in the book? Is It's a tricky moral question, and it's just very depressing. It's a great book. What do you got, writer? I'm going to submit uh, John Steinbeck's Cannery Row. Ooh. I've never read that. Oh, oh my God. It'll I take you a couple hours. It's I know, such I think a quick I've read read. everything else except that. The reason I chose this one is that it's it's still my favorite Steinbeck. It's the one I've read the most. Um, and we've talked about how I really need to reread um, Grapes of Wrath and probably East of Eden too. But but maybe because it's short, I don't know. Something it, Cannery Road just it gets under my skin, and it's so good. And um, the characters are amazing, and it's funny, and it's a brisk read. Um, you know, there's really not much more to it than like this is a book that I think everybody should read. I just mm -hmm. think it's one of those books that if anybody, you know, it, it doesn't even matter what your taste is, you you will enjoy this book. Like it's 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 an afternoon or a couple of days of reading. And you will laugh, and it will break your heart. And, um, you know, like, for me, I read it probably, I guess I was probably, like, 12 or 13 the first time I read it. And it also pre, it was kind of a precursor for a lot of the Beat Generation stuff that I read later. Because the um, the characters, the main characters, or there's a couple that, you know, it's all about this town um, in the middle of California and the coast. But um, it, it follows mostly a bunch of like bums like a bunch right. of guys who are like dropouts and you know they're 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 hobos they're like intentional dropouts and they they form this kind of alcoholic zen view of life <laughs> that really pre it, it predates uh Kerouac and Ginsburg and all those guys um in a in a really cool way um and they're much more caricatures than like what the beat generation was doing and they're they're much more just sort of there for fun and but there's like this folktale um tone to the entire book and i you know i remember it was one of those first books that i felt like took a place that wasn't that spectacular you know that you might just drive by on the freeway or a small town in the middle of california and made it mythic and that's what I love. You know, Steinbeck had that ability to make mythic characters out of everyday people. 
And, um, you know, he did it in nonfiction when he went on his big road trip, uh, Travels with Charlie. I don't know if you guys have heard uh, that. Yes, I love that Travels one. with Charlie like, it was, when I was, when I read that the first time, I just cried and cried and cried because yeah. my dog, Sam, had just died. And I was like, Aww. I should have taken Sam on a drive in my <laughs> 1985 <laughs> Nissan Sentra. We would have right. gotten from... Palm Springs to Pomona. <laughs> Made it all the way. <laughs> Made it all the way to Pomona. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, so, I mean, I love Steinbeck in general, but I just think that this is the one, I've reread it so many times. So, I don't know, I just, that, that deserves a place in the Hall of Fame. I think and, it, and it's got a good correlation to The Giving Tree. I mean, it's, it's a book mm-hmm. about people wanting to do a nice thing for someone who's been nice to them, basically. Exactly, exactly. And there's uh, there's an unfortunate sequel to it. <laughs> Steinbeck wrote a sequel. I don't know if you guys have read that. No. Sweet Thursday. Yeah, it's not very good. Um, but yeah, they made it. He wrote a sequel, uh, and they made a movie too. I think of maybe a movie of both of these books. But yeah, the, the oh. sequel's not good. Sweet Thursday doesn't really hold up. Um, Canner, it, it's it's about a, it's a love story, uh, whereas Cannery Row is just about yeah, like you're saying, these these bombs trying to do a good thing for. Uh, a more upstanding citizen in their town and it's kind of backfiring and and the point to me like cannery row is kind of anti plot or Mm -hmm. not anti plot but it's like it's about a plot backfiring you know like everything goes wrong in this book and it's just has that comic sort of picaresque element to it where sweet thursday the sequel was very much like directed at let's make this a nice love story out of the characters from Cannery Row. And it's like, eh, it just doesn't quite work. I remember Um, the the movie version of Cannery Row, as I recall, is not very good with Nick Nolte. I never saw it. Yeah, Nick Nolte just sort of, just grunts all the way through. Being nice. (laughs) That's his specialty. Drinking beer. (laughs) Well, that sounds awesome. I'm going to read it. What do you have, Julia? Uh, I have submitted for my, since I went for a children's book last time, I, really wanted to swing the other way and i'm submitting a super classic <gasps> which is a classic to end all classics which is ovid's metamorphoses oh have you guys oh. ever read it wow no, no I just, never you read know, it. it's one of those things i just know a lot of the stories but i've never actually read it yeah so i think you know when we think of mythology of that time we are we so many people have read the odyssey and the iliad and we're so accustomed to the greek versions of these myths or you know the greek gods goddesses but the roman uh translations of them which are in many cases the same stories and the same gods and goddesses are they're so wonderful and they're so different and they're so much more uh, restrained uh at least in the uh, in so far as i've read which is not very far but um (laughs) the metamorphoses is the best because um it the theme of the work is that all of these people all the characters they almost all at some point transform into something else Mm. and it seems it that sounds like it's meant to be a metaphor but it's treated extremely literally in the in the work so um in one of the ones called procne and philomela or teresius or terius i don't know how to say his name terius procne and philomela um there's these two sisters and one of their husbands rapes the other one And then, and then they. Oh, this is super common. And uh, and then, of course, they serve him a Second meal of his own Second only to swan rape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and then they all, you know. So there's this huge conflict and this big climax, and then they all become. Well, I'll I'll read it to you. Okay, so uh, 
He draws the sword, pursues them, both Pandian's daughters. They went flying from him as if they were on wings. They were on wings. One flew to the wood, the other to the rooftop, and even so, the red marks of the murder stayed on their breasts. The feathers were blood-colored. Terius, swift in grief and lust for vengeance, himself became a bird. A stiff crest rises upon his head, and a huge beak juts forward, not too unlike a sword. He is the hoopoe, the bird who looks like war. Oh. So they they basically all become nightingales in the middle of the story. And so, so cool. this is the one, the most famous of all the stories is Daphne, um, Apollo and Daphne, Daphne becoming a, a laurel tree. So they're just beautiful. And if you've read the Odyssey or the Iliad and you know you like that kind of thing, or if you just want a super mystical experience of literature, I couldn't recommend it more. I just, I love these stories. I love them from the moment I first read when them. When did you first read them? I read them in Classical Mythology 101 in college, my first semester freshman year. That's when that's when you're meant to experience them. Julia, did did you ever see there was a there was a play on Broadway, I want to say 10 years ago. Oh my god. Did you see it? I never saw it. I've heard so much about yeah, it. Yeah, it was an interpretation of this with a pool in the middle of the stage. Um, mm-hmm. So the actors were moving in and out of water and it was incredible. Yeah. I've heard so much about that production writer. And I, I feel like if I could go back in time to see any play that I feel like I really missed out on, that's probably what I would pick. And which is huge. Cause I see a lot of plays, but Oh my God, I'm sure I would absolutely love it and lose my mind. But yeah, it's so good. Not enough people have read this book and it's so easy to read and it's so beautiful. And it's just like, a great entry into the classics. I feel like I was supposed to have read it in Greek and Roman mythology in college, but I, I failed that class and had to take it over again. And so how could you fail? Well, a class that is literally just stories. I know in, about rape and eating your own son. By in accident. retrospect, it seems odd that I should fail this class, but I was in it with two of my buddies, Jim and Vitaly and oh. uh, these two girls, Janet and Janet. <laughs> who um, we sort of entrusted <laughs> to do our homework for us. And then, so they, they helped us with our homework, which is dumb because I was an English major. I should have just been able to read this shit. But I had a lot of other stuff coming up. The tri-delt formal was coming up, and that was important. Um, so I failed that <sighs> class, and the, the teacher was a very strange little man with a very strange little voice. He talked like this. Mr. Adams was his name. And so I had to get, I remember this vividly, I had to get a 98% on the final in order to get a D. Oh, my God. And I got a 97% <gasps> on the final. And so I went to his office and was like, hey, look, I got a 97% on the final. Is there, can you do me a solid? You know, I'm at 59% in the class. Can I get a 60%? And he said, maybe if you'd attended or paid attention in class, you wouldn't have needed to get a perfect grade. You did not get a perfect grade. You have to take the class again. And I was like, oh, fuck. And so I took the class again and... When he does roll the next quarter, he said, it's like a class is like 300 people. He's like going down, he's like, Goldberg. And I'm here, he's like, that's a familiar name and voice. And keeps going. I was like, oh, uh, fucking asshole. <laughs> called you out. He called, he he called me it. out like, Good. he called yeah, me out totally like, a, like a dog. It. Oh, I totally deserved it. Oh. <laughs> Totally deserved it. Ugh, it's horrible. I think that was it for our uh, Literary Disco Hall of Fame. So now we can move on to the Classics Corner with two Ks. Starring Julia Pastel. I chose something that will probably (laughs) upset you guys, but our listeners will love. So I was recently very ill. 
And um, whenever I'm sick, I I read books I've read a hundred times, and I read um, I reread Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. So that is what I've chosen as our oh classic. Oh my god! Wow! <laughs> wow! <laughs> Which one is that? Is that like the third or fourth book? That's the second one, isn't it? Second one. Oh, okay. You're both wrong. It's the third one. Oh, okay. It's the good <laughs> it's one. Okay. It's the good one, right? It's a I good remember. One. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, I'm sure that comment alone will upset readers, but I know a lot of our readers will love this. Now, have you guys, or Todd, have you read Harry Potter? I've read three of the books. I, okay. I think the last one I read was Prisoner of Azkaban. Okay, great. And I saw all the movies. I saw all the movies. Ryder has not done any of those, right? No, no, no. I read the first one. I don't know if I finished the first book, but I've read most okay. of the first book. And then I've tried to watch the first movie and didn't finish it. Oh, so. that movie's bad. So, yeah. yeah fair. Um, the third movie is Sincerely Good. Um, and I, I, so I just wanted to make sure that you guys don't have the expertise that... I do and our listeners do. I think this will actually be hard. This will be fun because it'll be very easy for the listeners and very hard for you guys. All right. So, <clears throat> Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Classics Corner with two K. <laughs> Selection one. <laughs> Harry searched his dress robes frantically for his wand. With a flourish, he whipped it toward Draco. Back off, Malfoy, he said, as he tucked the Marauder's map into his robes and headed down the narrow passage toward Hogsmeade, hoping he wouldn't be seen this time by any muggles. Dun, dun, dun. That's that uh, selection one. I don't know if that's in the book or not, but that's pretty gay porny. I'm just, I'm just putting <laughs> that out there. That's hey, pretty that's gay a, porny. That's a very common um, fanfic thing with Harry Potter. Oh, okay. Harry and Draco. Don't ask me how I know that. Okay, Super number hot. two. Super weird you know that. Yeah, <laughs> super weird. <laughs> number two. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> this one starts with a quote. Miss Granger, said Professor McGonagall, you know what to do. As Hermione looked on, the professor shrunk into her cat, an animagus, and slunk away. Hermione clutched at the time turner around her neck. Could she do it? Was there time to free both Sirius Black and Buckbeak? That's, that's uh that's super tampa y right there that one is super <laughs> super i'm gonna be raped by my teacher wow okay i don't think you're listening to the words uh right. i saw her getting tucked into a cat that's all i'm saying no the teacher turned into a cat and walked away and now she's trying to decide oh. she can like do something magical with reversing time or something mm. i don't yes. know there's some okay. kind of magical object around her throat yeah oh yeah it. yeah that's not sexual at all <laughs> okay <laughs> number three Hagrid presided over the care of magical creatures exam the following morning with a very preoccupied air. His heart didn't seem to be in it at all. He had provided a large tub of fresh flobberworms for the class and told them that to pass the test, the flobberworm had to still be alive at the end of one hour. Oh my god. <laughs> Each one of these have words that sound so made up. Hmm. Hogsmeade, uh, Draco, but that's actually a character name. Right. And then... Yes. <laughs> I will. Animagus? I, like, what is going on? Uh, okay, oh, I, I think. Flobberworm? I believe, I believe number three is for sure not real because Hagrid was not a teacher. Wow. I feel like number three is real just because Julia would have picked Flabberworm thinking that somebody like me <laughs> would think that that's totally made up and not part of the book. So I think she's trying to throw me off hmm. and that number three is an actual quote from the book. I, th uh, 
I think number one sounds like the most sort of generic conflict moment that could have been made up because I don't the second one like the second one you're dealing with a cat a teacher turning into a cat that seems very specific I don't I don't let's see I don't know how much Julia knows I am clueless about this stuff so. I, I feel like I feel like one and two are both very plausible um, in the context of my reading of the books because okay. I think there is someone who turns into a cat I think it's Miss McConaughey as I recall um, but I don't know. Mm, I don't know. I, I don't feel like Hagrid taught. I, I feel like he was more of a uh, he was more of the school of autodidactism. So I don't know how much he really instilled in the children. Who's Hagrid? Hagrid. Is Hagrid is that giant job of the hut looking guy who lives in the house down the way. Oh, you guys. All right, make your selections. All right. So we have to pick the real one, correct? You have to no, pick the real one. No, we have to pick one. the one that she made up. Well, she made up two. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yes, I made up two. You guys completely changed the rules of the game. Well, I Whoops. didn't. Julia made up two. <laughs> Whoops! I did it backwards. Two that are real and one that's fake? Yeah, you were only supposed to write one fake one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, well, it's reversed. <laughs> so now we got to find the real one. I believe... Oh, the I third believe, one's the real one. I believe the real one is the first one. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I reversed the rules of the game. It's been way too long, but this still I works. think the third one is I'm the real one with for the me. First one. Todd, you're going with the first one? All right, well, Ryder, you win. Yes. You are correct. Damn it. And not only Damn that, it. but your logic is right. I was pitching exactly. through and I was like, Flubberworm. Yes, I knew it. I knew it. I was like, that's Damn why it. if it wasn't, yeah, if it was the other way around, I would have known that that one, but because we were trying to pick the real one, it was ob- It was easy. Yeah. And Todd, mm. just for your information, Hagrid is promoted to teacher for one year in the third book. Oh, <laughs> Damn it. Damn so it. your knowledge was impressive, yet... But flawed. Flawed, yes. And oh. uh, I, I just want to state for the record that I did not make up any words. I only used crazy words from the Harry Potter universe. Mm. Because I was too scared that any word that I would make up would be so dumb that you guys would feel it right away. Wow. So, Ryder is today's winner of Classics Corner with two Ks. Yeah. Congratulations, Ryder. It's a very yeah. exciting time for you. It's becoming more of a game about knowing each other's knowledge. Of <laughs> you know, like, but I inserted racism in my Kerouac quote because you guys were like, "Well, Ryder would never write racist things." <laughs> <laughs> All right, are you guys ready for uh, for a little poet voice? Yeah, let's of have it. Of course. Well, right, well, the last time we did poet voice, we actually we did it at our live show and. It's important to mention that in that episode, um, I used a sample from one of my brother's books in the Poet Voice section to see if he actually listens to the show. He's not made a single mention of it. Keep your family affairs out of this. <laughs> Do you think your brother really would enjoy this show? My my brother would not enjoy this show, which uh, which makes me feel like we can talk about him um, and anything about him at, uh, at our leisure. So My brother I does have... enjoy this show, just putting it out there. I don't know about Shiloh, but... Shiloh is a big fan. That's Ryder's brother. I don't yeah. know if anyone in my family has ever listened to this show. Which is good, because now is the day that we talk about all of them. It's great. All right. So I have... The, I remember how to play Poet Voice, which is that there are there is one actual <laughs> poem and then two things that are not poems. And you guys have to pick the one thing that is a poem. And the general rules are, I will add a few words periodically to put everything on even ground. Those words are usually mother 
or father or a pawn or I hate you mother or I hate you father. Are you guys ready? Yes. Okay. Mother, father, saints, this was not my first encounter with someone from the past. I tipped my hat and introduced myself while trying not to fall over. I am not a saint or a separatist. I am Rush. Revere, mother. I am a history teacher from the 21st century. I hate you, father. (laughs) Okay, I have a feeling I know what that is. That is our first one. And it's not a poem. (laughs) You don't know. Our second one. Mother, I don't know that I will. But until I can find me, the girl who'll stay and won't play games behind me. I'll be what I am, mother. A solitary man. A solitary man. I've had it to hear, mother. Being where love's a small word. A part-time thing. A paper ring. Father, right or wrong, weak or strong, I hate you, mother. Hmm. All right. Oh, you don't know because it rhymes. You don't know. It's a song. God damn you. <laughs> and, and the final one. Think we can be so easily tricked? <laughs> you don't know what, which one's which. You don't know. Right, you you don't know. Final. Let's hear the final one. <clears throat> this game is barely a game. <laughs> All right, go, go, go. Mother... O oh, antic God, return to me, my mother in her thirties, leaned across the front porch, the huge pillow of her breast, pressing against the rail, summoning me in for bed. Mother, I can almost, I am almost the dead woman's age times two. Father, I can barely recall her song. The scent of her hands to her wild hair scratches my dreams at night. Return to me, O Lord of then. And now my mother's calling, her young voice humming. My name, Father, why did you make me hate Mother? There you go. You know what's funny about this game? (laughs) Is that I think... All of it, every I, single bit. I think it's actually completely backfiring. I mean, we, we, you did co- you did stump us with the James Franco thing, which is horrible. But like, usually, I think we've always gotten what is the poem, poem, which just goes to show that when a poem is a poem, we can still kind of tell, right? Like, I don't know, maybe I, maybe that's being giving poetry too much credit, but. I, 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 the last one just sounded like a poem to me. Yeah. You know, the, the, and, the imagery, and not the a use horrible of words. Poem. No, there was something scratching my dreams. Like, that's Antic so cool God, lines. I like that. Now, yeah. uh, what's really important here is, is the first one the Long Island medium or some other kind of psychic? It's definitely <laughs> someone who thinks they're is a psychic it? or can Oh, I thought it was ghosts. like a sci-fi time travel or book or something. Ooh, okay. No, I think it's someone who is delusional and thinks they can see into the future. <laughs> 
I am a historian of the 21st century. Think about that. Oh. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Thanks, I know. I think it's a... Well, I mean, I deal with a lot of people who uh, think they're psychic or believe in ghosts at work, so I'm used to the crazy talk. Wait, why? Because uh, the Mark Twain house was on Ghost Hunters. So it now was? we have a lot of people. Um, we have a lot of people calling us asking if they can investigate the house. Oh, That's interesting. A lot. Do you, like, do you allow them? No, they're well, conspiracy they nuts. Conspiracy. You're trying to keep the ghost hunters from finding the real ghosts. <laughs> you don't believe in. You don't believe in science Take fact, a, Julia. Yeah. <laughs> Why won't you just let the scientists do their work, Julia? <laughs> You're just I'm trying to keep real side. investigators from... I am from, on your side. <laughs> Why are you investigators? <laughs> These guys, you know, have you ever heard of EMT and uh, White Noise? Yeah. Uh, there is a movie episode, called White Noise. It's basically a documentary. This basically episode a documentary. is literally our best of the year because we're just rehashing all of our old arguments about YA and ghosts. <laughs> all right. Would you like to know what the first, what the first poem was? Yes. Yes. The first poem was from the opening pages of Rush Limbaugh's children's book, <gasps> Rush Revere and the Brave Pilgrims. Rush no Revere. Way. Yes. Yes, indeed. Oh, my wow. God. Well, yes. I was close. <laughs> See, I, I, I changed it up when I did vocal inflection like a poet, when I said, I am Rush Revere. But I said, I am Rush Revere. You actually said the title in, I did. The, I did. in the poem. That's I did great. indeed. That's, That's how I well, fuck you guys up. You got is with me. my vocal stylings. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you guys want to guess what the second one was? Second one is a Lucinda Williams song. No, uh, it's a. It's got to be a pop song. Um, they weren't horrible lyrics, but they're just too rhymy, and and it, it just didn't sound quite like a poem. It definitely still sounded like song lyrics to me. Was it Daughtry? <laughs> Uh, how dare you think that I, See, I think even it might know actually a be a good song. songwriter that, that Todd likes. That's why I yeah, said maybe like... Williams, because I know he likes her. But it, it was from a male perspective, I think. Ooh, I, it was. It was yeah. from a male perspective. So maybe that... What was the songwriter that you just recently talked a lot about on the show? Uh, I talked the, a lot about Jason, Jason Isbell. Isbell, yeah. But this is not um, Jason Isbell. Okay. Maybe if I sing it, you guys will know. <clears throat> oh, we got singing onto the show. Here we go. <clears throat> I don't know that I will... But until Tom I can Waits? find me. Is that your Tom Waits impression? No, this is not. I have one impression I can do. The girl who'll stay and won't play games behind me. Hi. Uh, your one impression sounds like Neil Diamond. <laughs> it is Neil Bruce Diamond. It is Neil Diamond. <laughs> <laughs> Neil Diamond's not that gruff, dude. He is, I, he I was is, about to say Bruce Springsteen. He is it was, live it was in, like Bruce Springsteen doing an imitation of Neil Diamond is what that was. <laughs> I'll be what I am. Hi. Solitary man. But what was, you used to do a Neil Diamond that was actually pretty good. This this was not a good Neil Diamond. Where, well, where's I'm, your? Oh, I, I mean, I can, I can do I can do Neil. I mean, I yeah, do a little Shiloh when I was young. Shiloh when I was young. <laughs> I used to call your name. Hands. Warm, touching warm. Okay. Reaching so out. There so is that sounds like Neil Diamond. Touching there. you. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? This like loungy. <laughs> that, you're inserting this Tom Waits into the middle where of the game. No, Neil Diamond has this whole thing where inexplicably he goes, hey. So if He's you clearing as, his throat. If you listen to any of his live albums, and if you guys come over, I can put them on the hi-fi. 
Um, he does a lot of... <laughs> Playing the reel-to-reel? <laughs> yeah. This is a song about the Jews coming to America. Everywhere, hi, around the world, hi, we're coming to America. So anyway, that was, uh, that was Solitary Man, his first hit single, by Neil Diamond. And it, I, I believe it attains a level of poetry. And then the poem that I read and, uh, and butchered a bit of was actually a wonderful poem by Lucille Clifton called Oh Antic God. And I love Lucille Clifton. She's a, she's a wonderful poet. So I, I apologize to Lucille Clifton for bunching her with uh, Rush Limbaugh and hi, Nadila Diamond. <laughs> Oh God! Wow. <laughs> so that's okay. that's your poet so that voice for 2013. Yeah, everybody got go. their fix. I hope because that was horrible. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> that was way too easy, and we had to hear you sing for a long time. <laughs> and I, I am a bad singer. I think we can all confirm that I'm a really dreadful no. singer. Yeah. No. You're fine. Yeah, yeah. Don't, yeah don't I'm, I'm, I'm never going to sing. There's video of me singing Careless Whisper somewhere out there in the world. So next we have our favorite books that we didn't read on the show. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. our favorite books that we read on the show. Yeah. Woohoo! Actually, here, I want to I take a stab at guessing what your guys' favorite books from the disco. Oh, okay. okay. All right. And we can, we can all do this, maybe. So don't, right. don't tell me yours, but and you can guess mine. Okay. My, I don't think you'll guess mine, but... I'm going to say that Todd's favorite was Crooked Letter, Crooked Letter. Mm. And I'm going to say that Julia's favorite was, and this is a little tougher, but I'm going to say We the Animals. Ooh. Those are my two predictions on what you guys think are the best. Okay, I think Todd's was Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. Mm, Mm. It's one of those two. Or maybe my friend Dahmer. I don't know. Ooh. I know. I know. Um, And Ryder. Ooh, I don't know for you. I don't remember Ryder liking any of the books we read. (laughs) Everything we just mentioned, I I liked. All the Um, ones that you like, I liked. (laughs) I was just more passionate in my dislike. Well, I think think you liked Crooked Letter, Crooked Letter the best, maybe, Ryder. Todd, do you have any predictions? Um, hold on. I'm looking at all the episodes we've done here. You want to read them off really quick? Okay. So this year we read, we started with We the Animals, then we did Hardy Boys, then we did Pulphead, then When My Brother Was an Aztec and Smith Blue, then Mm. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, Flimsy Little Plastic Miracles, Uh, we did two essays about Iowa, The Fault in Our Stars, Flowers in the Attic, Crooked Letter, Crooked Letter, Seating Arrangements, my friend Dahmer and Goliath, Thunderbird, A River Runs Through It, The Woman Chaser, Tampa. We did two essays about summer vacation, one by David Foster Wallace and the other by E.B. White. Uh, Cock, the play, uh, Things Fall Apart, Dr. Sleep. Oh. We did three essays about animals attacking humans. Um, I'm not going to name all three because I can't find them right now. <laughs> Billy Lynn's long halftime really walk. Tired. <laughs> and Robert Frost's New Hampshire. You guys, what a great year! It was a good year of reading. It was I actually... changed my answer. I think really? Ryder's favorite was not my personal answer. Mine oh, okay. is steady, but I think Ryder's favorite was Things Fall Apart. I think Ryder's favorite was A River Runs Through It. Oh God, we read a lot of good books this year. We said we read some great books this year. It was actually a tough call. Julia, I think your favorite was. Uh, Sherlock Holmes. 
Okay, well, I will reveal no, myself. No, I don't really. I don't know if first. that's your favorite. I, I think your favorite was actually. That was probably her favorite going into this year. I yeah. Feel like I, that was the one she selected that she had liked before we, we talked I about I think it your most. favorite, Julia, for this year was actually the two essays we read about Iowa. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, I will tell you guys that I selected uh, We the Animals. So, Ryder in this episode yes. gets the prize Bam. for knowing me the best. I, <laughs> so, damn it. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, I failed so many times. That book was so good. That book was You know, I didn't... And we'll talk about how good it was in a second, but um, I I didn't consider the two essays about Iowa because they were short pieces, but I will say that was, for me, that was our favorite, my favorite of every episode we've ever done. That is also my favorite of every episode we've ever done. I think it was. That's interesting. Other than the Hardy Boys. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about We the Animals because it does deserve everything um, that that we said about it, which it really stuck with me because the writing was so good. And I know we talk about so many different elements of writing in the writing life and authorship and the subjects of the books, but there's just a certain point where the writing transcends any topic that or, or genre that we ever hit on. Mm-hmm. And We the Animals was that kind just of book. Great mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So, and A River Runs yeah. Through It had oh. that, too. But We the Animals, I just love the structure of the book, and I loved the success of the, you know, multi-person we voice that eventually emerged into an individual. And how that happened through the series of stories was both beautiful writing and so reflective of the theme of this kid becoming alienated from his brothers. And I just... When I went back and I looked at everything else, I, not, I was such a quick decision for me. I just loved it, and oh man, that book is so good. And I just tore through it in a way that um, is the kind of reading experience I always long for. So yeah, that was my favorite. Yeah, that was my. It was my number two, definitely. That was the second. It was hard to choose, but that was my second choice, and it's for the exact same reason. Like I want to read whatever he writes about next like it almost doesn't matter what he writes about i just think he's the best pro he, uh, stylist he got he got an nea by the way last week it was announced that oh, he, awesome. uh, he, yeah really i, so I know todd good. knows this i forget if i told you this writer maybe i texted you i literally ran into him doing a signing at awp right after we read the book and he was like the yeah. so super young like fun loving guy like jokey and young and so happy to be there and i i went up to him like an idiot you know like oh my god i have a podcast whenever i tell people that i feel like a complete <laughs> asshole but was this uh, better or worse than when you uh when you pulled cheryl straight off of an escalator <laughs> that didn't i pushed her off like the next floor <laughs> Uh, I mean, those two events occurred within an hour of each other, so it was very intense day for me. <laughs> anyway. Oh, God. Okay, so Ryder, what was yours? I'm so curious now that you made us guess. Well, I kind of cheated, I guess, in, in, in light of what you've already said. Uh, mine was a book that we technically didn't read, but it was from the essays on, on Iowa, um, uh, the Boys of My Youth by Joanne Beard. Oh, just, yes. Great book. I think that is a perfect book. And so we only read the one essay from it. But then because of that essay, I went and bought the whole book. And um, I, I just, I, I again, very similar to what you said about uh, Justin Torres, uh, I, I think I want to read anything that she writes about. Like, it almost mm. doesn't matter what the subject yeah. is. Like, one of my favorite essays in this book is early on, 
um, it's just about how she would spend afternoons at her grandparents' place, like her mom oh would drop God, off at her grandparents. Oh my God, I love that essay. And it's like, I can't even tell you right now what that essay is actually about. Like, thematic, it doesn't matter. I feel like I lived this little girl's experience so intensely, and she just has a way of evoking... Um, the way families interact with each other, the way men and women interact with each other, the way somebody who, you know, shot people in her office interacted. Like, mm -hmm. she just captures humans, and somehow she gets to their essence so quickly and easily that whenever I finish one of her essays, I feel like I've lived it in a way that I don't from almost any other nonfiction. And so, to me, she was a revelation this year because I never read her. And so that book... Um, and to be honest, I haven't even finished the book because what I do is I read one essay and then I have to put it down and I sort of live with it for a while. And so I've been carrying this book around since we did that and I still haven't finished it. But mm. it's like always in my bag and whenever I need to like be inspired to write or think about something a little differently, I pick it up and I read another one of her essays. And some of them are short, some of them are really long and I just, she's the best. So, um, and I don't know. I, and now, yeah. So when I finish this collection, I guess I'll move on to more of her stuff. But I really think she's she's my favorite nonfiction writer right now. I'm just obsessed. She so. is. Uh, and you guys probably don't know this, but I have a friend starting at Bennington in January, and she's the graduation speaker. Oh, and I'm, how cool! I'm gonna go. I'm yeah. so excited. It's only two hours from my house, so. Aren't you excited. getting married though? That like, aren't no, you gonna January. be on your honeymoon? January. Oh, January. Okay. Okay. Not June. Well, yeah. and you know the, uh, the... She runs away from the altar. <laughs> Run away from the altar. Joanne Beard's here. To Joanne Beard. Joanne Beard's here. <laughs> Get out of my way, Cheryl Strayed. Make room for Get Joanne Beard. Get escalator. Get behind me, Strayed. Get behind me. <laughs> we should, Julia, you should start filming yourself attacking these authors. Whenever... AWP, we should have a whole series called When Julia Attacks! Exclamation point. Well, you, you guys... Uh, you guys were were both uh, were both correct. I, I have a hard time deciding between my friend Dahmer and uh, Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. Yes. Oh no! So I was wrong. Actually, I said. Oh, you said crooked letter. letter. Yeah. Yeah. Julia I, said. I got too. both. <laughs> yeah, you got Julia got both of them. Um, you know, from from just a, a pure having been able to get out of my head since the moment I read it, my friend Dahmer has been like that. Like I, I, and I've gone back to it and looked over it over and over again. It's just sort of a fascinating piece of literature. Um, but I, I think as as a perfect book, as a great novel, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk was the best book. Period. I read this year. Just yeah. it just absolutely mm -hmm. blew me away. But Dahmer, there's there's something about it that that keeps you know. I, I can't stop thinking about it, and I think that's the sign of, of great literature. It reminds me of sort of my experiences with other great books like Columbine or Devil in the White City, and I, I think they're of a kind in my mind, which is the Definitely. exploration of, you know, evil. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, they're they're tied. I, I can't I can't distinguish between the two because they're such different animals. Also, it, it's it's by far the best graphic novel I've ever read is My Friend Dahmer, and then Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk might be. My one of the, my favorite novels of the last ten years. It's just it so great. remarkably well written and um, well considered, and about a period of time, but not of its time, so that it's it can be bigger than what it is. I think it's the the best novel about war, about the Gulf Wars that we've had. Um, I, I you know I think in twenty years people are going to be really reading this like they've been reading the things they carried for the last yeah. twenty five years. I think it's that kind of book um but also it's funny and it's weird 
and it's unusual and it takes big chances and just so finely written on a sentence level and then on a story level just doesn't disappoint and it, it doesn't make any wrong turns and since reading it Whenever anyone has asked me, oh, have you read anything good lately? I say, you have to read Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. Me too. Mm -hmm. And I haven't really done that with my friend Dahmer because when people say, hey, what's a great book I can read this weekend? I feel a little hesitant to be like, hey, you know what? How about the graphic novel My Friend Dahmer if you're looking for something fun? It's a comic book about people getting murdered. Perfect. Yeah. But both of them were sort of revelatory reading experiences for me this year. And just being able to sit and talk about them also improve them in my mind whereas yeah. some books that we've talked about this year I, I enjoyed them and the more we talked about them, the more i was like eh, i don't even know if i actually like that person not <laughs> not even the book i think this right. person's a fucking We're asshole looking at you robert frost <laughs> <laughs> you tree fucker uh, <laughs> all right um what about our favorite book that we didn't read on the show this year Ryder, what was your favorite book you didn't read on the show? Uh, well, again, I kind of cheated. Um, because, to be honest, I didn't end up reading much outside of the disco this year. It was hard, um, especially with Finnegan's Wake tacked on to uh, everything oh, else that was yeah. going on in my life. Oh, yeah. I remember we were that doing was, that. Yeah. That was by far the longest book I read this year. Did you read um, it? Did you actually did finish, you finish it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I finished Finnegan's Wake. Yeah. You guys you obviously did? haven't checked out the Goodreads page. Yeah. Oh I finished God. it on time too. I finished it the same day as all of our um, all of our readers. All of our readers. There are five of us that were doing it. Um, yeah, actually, maybe I should take a moment to talk about the Finnegan's Wake Up experience because there was about I think there was about five people actively posting, <laughs> and then since a couple more people have come out and said that they were also reading along, but they didn't finish in time. So I think there's probably about ten listeners who, uh, pro- who <laughs> are getting through or got through Finnegan's Wake, which was. It's an insane experience. Ten like, of I, our fifty thousand listeners was, read along yeah. with you. <laughs> That's okay. You know what? It's worth it. I love. I went it. through so many phases with that book, like loving it, hating it, loving it, hating it, and for so many different reasons. Ultimately, I am really glad that we did it, and this is the only way I would have ever, ever done this is if I committed to reading it with some other people because it is. Yeah, I mean, it's the weirdest and hardest thing I've ever read, and I can't help it. The second I finished it, I kind of wanted to reread it. So that's like a, it's it is a weird because it's 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 so difficult and it's so different from any other book I've ever read that you kind of want to re-experience it to try and make sense of it over and over again. But um, anyway, uh, the 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 book that I wanted to talk—it's not really a book at all. Um, I wanted to talk because you know we've we started this podcast um, and we. We had a little bit of discussion about ebooks, but we haven't really gone back since our first discussion. I think it was in our first episode because I had read, um, I had read uh, the Josh Ritter book on as my first ebook and decided I hated reading ebooks, and I haven't gone back since. So we talked about it a little bit then, but so I've discovered. Um, do you guys know the Atavist? Yeah, I sure love the Atavist. I that is my favorite book of the year. I'm gonna say um, because I subscribe to the Atavist, which is it's long form journalism, uh, but in ebook form, and it's so well put together. You can read it on your phone or your iPad or your computer, and it has you know photographs and timelines. But then it also includes every article read by the author. So for me, who you know, like if I'm in the car or I like to listen to audiobooks at night when I can't sleep, so to be able to stop reading at any point and hit a button and hear the author pick up where you were and listen to these amazing essays. And they're all over the place. I mean, some of them are, 
you know, about like a crazy murder case, you know, about like, um, there was one that I read about a, a, uh, a guy who, uh, took his wife to South Africa and she was murdered. And then it turns out he might've had something to do with it. Then there's like articles about ants and like a guy who studies ants for a living. They're all so good. And I just think in, um, you know, as we like the New York Times, I, you know, I've been a subscriber to the New York Times for years and it sucks now. Like I read the New York Times, the Sunday Times, and I'm bored. Like I'm not interested in the articles. And so I'm starting to see that for my journalism, I'm having to look elsewhere. And I think that this, for a long form journalism, I think the e-format is really effective. Mm -hmm. I don't want to read my books that way. I don't want to read my literature that way because I'd like to underline and take notes. And that still doesn't feel right to me. And I like keeping a book, but for articles, nothing's better than what the Atavis has done. I think they've nailed it. And I think that's where we're progressing. Um, so, uh, I, that's like what I love to read in ebook format. It's the only thing I like to read in ebook format. And so I'm a huge fan of the Atavis and their, their selection, the authors are incredible. And, um, the, the in-depth reporting that goes, I just, it's perfect. So that's going to be my favorite book for 2013. Yeah. They, they do great stuff. I had, I had the editor of the Atavis, Evan Ratliff come out and talk to my graduate students a year or so ago fascinating guy and and really dedicated to you know basically where the new york times just as you said new york times la times and washington post that used to produce long-form journalism be it in their papers or in their magazines what they used to do they don't do it anymore and they can't they can't and they can't afford it and but you know he's commissioning 30 or forty thousand word articles sometimes book length twenty thousand words and paying the writers and and you know putting out a great product and I, I love the Atavis. I think it is one of the best things on the internet. I mean that and um, and then there's Byliner also, which has a lot of long form journalism. There's oh yeah, the, I mean check that out. I've heard people mention. Maybe you have mentioned it to me. Before, yeah, I think it's I think it's great. That's a good pick and a good a good uh, a good push for someone who's doing good work over there. Yeah. Good yeah. call. Well, I also cheated, so I'll go next <laughs> <laughs> because I I was having trouble selecting an answer. Well, okay, I'll give you what I thought I was going to do, and then my revisions. So I feel weird endorsing this book because it is not actually a very well-written book. But in terms of books that I could not put down and told everyone about and lived to read it while I was reading it, I read a book called Swimming to Antarctica by Lynn Cox. Have you guys heard of this book? No. No. All right. It's a memoir about a long-distance swimmer, which I picked up when um, after that woman swam through the jellyfish, and it was crazy. So, do you, do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, Diana Nyad? Yeah, yeah. Long-distance swimming is something that I haven't given a lot of thought to, but suddenly I was interested in it because of the news, and I and I also love Antarctica. So, I picked up this book, Swimming to Antarctica, and this woman, Lynn Cox, is just so amazingly cool, and she's done all these swims. So, right in the beginning, she starts swimming like with her siblings when she's young, and she wanted to do a – she was very slow as a short-distance swimmer, but her coach said, like, I think you could go for a long time. So he submitted her into this, like, short channel swim of some tiny channel, and she – Tiny she, being there, relative in this there were, case. Yeah, of course. There were three <laughs> – sure it was, like, miles that I could never do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So she was um, – and, and she's, like, a chubby little girl, so everyone's like, there's no way that you could do this. So she gets in the super cold water, and she swims her first try out of the gate. She breaks the record. And so, oh, my God. But she, but she was still so um, 
so energized that she there was like different heats so then the second time she went back and she came in second she just did it again she did the same race three times breaking all these records and basically what it turns out is um her body uh is they've done all these studies on her she doesn't get cold like deep in her core so hard killer whale she's an x-man She was actually born at SeaWorld. <laughs> born at SeaWorld in a secret test. Yeah, one so woman. She's so, so one she's whale. So By the way, I finally finished Blackfish. They actually show whale penis yes. getting jerked they, off. They, in they, that. They actually, it's like <laughs> it's 19 people part. Like, I'm watching people get eaten by the whales. It was like, okay, but... The, Whale penis, Jesus. Who knew? Yeah, it's a lot to live up to, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck to you guys. Yeah. Anyway, so she, she started swimming. Never all date these... a SeaWorld trainer. Oh my God. She'll never be happy. She'll just, oh my God. She'll just look at you with such disappointment. I was a whale girl. <laughs> I, I, I was I, a whale girl. I didn't, I didn't hang around the tank. I wasn't that kind of whale girl, but <laughs> I, was, I wasn't attached to a tank. You know what, guys? I quit. Uh, anyway so lynn cox she broke all these records and then she decided that like that wasn't she didn't like the competitive aspect she just wanted to swim in places that had never been swam in before so she swam all over the world she swam across the strait of magellan she swam a mile and in and Antarctic waters. She's amazing. Oh my God. That's so crazy. the the book was so nuts, and I I loved it. But it's you know she's writing it, and you can tell that she's really writing it because the writing's kind of stilted, and you know not as much like analysis or literary quality that I normally would like. But the story was so good that I loved it. But the, anyway, the reason that I'm cheating is that the book I'm reading now I think is going to be my favorite book. And similarly, it's called In the Heart of the Sea: The Tragedy of the Whale Ship Essex. Um, which oh, won, I've heard about this book. It won the National Book Award <clears throat> a while ago. And what it is is a nonfiction account of the book that inspired the, uh, the writing of Moby Dick. And oh. I, a lot of things are interesting about it. But so for when this ship sank, it was everybody knew about it. It's very strange that in our modern culture, this has kind of fallen out of the popular imagination. But the, a whale sank the ship. And then um, a bunch of, and then only a few men survived, and then they all ate each other on this whaling boat, and only a couple survived. Well, so, well I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, wait a minute. Yeah. They only a few men other. survived, and then they all ate each other? They were stuck in a small, the boats that you row out to harpoon the whale. Oh, in a, in oh. a dinghy, basically. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And they washed up on shore, and the, or they didn't wash up on shore. Another boat came across this dinghy, and two of the men were sucking human bone marrow oh my and, god yeah so jesus so that's insane and uh Ooh. so for a long time the the main account of this was from the first mate who survived um but then um when nathan philbrick philbrick wrote this uh nathaniel philbrick sorry i just totally butchered his name um he also included a very recently discovered account another person who survived was the cabin boy so you have the high basically the highest status person and the lowest status person uh reporting on the same event so it's really interesting it's really tragic um and it's just it's so it's so good. I think we might need to read this for the show. This sounds like a great book. Yeah. All right. So, Todd, what do you got? 
Well, I actually followed the rules, and I'm going to talk about a new book that came out in 2013 that I absolutely love. And mm -hmm. I'm picking this one also because I was surprised. No, I wasn't surprised I loved it, but it's not really a book that I think of as the kind of book I normally really love. Um, it is the book Mary Coyne by Marissa Silver. Um, and if you're not familiar with Marissa Silver, she wrote a great book also called The God of War, which is about um, people living in the Salton Sea in the 1970s. And she's written a couple collections of stories and another novel. I've been a fan of hers for years. Um, but when Mary Coyne came out, I... I, I was like, eh, you know, I'll, I'll buy it when I buy it. But then I kept seeing all these great reviews of it, and I was struck by the conceit of it, which is there's that famous photo by Dorothea Lange of the migrant mother. So it's mm -hmm. that famous photo of, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah I've heard about this book, yeah. And so I was She's like, imagining well, a backstory, right? That's right. Like the whole, she, she, oh, imagines, she imagines so her cool. life, and she imagines, you know, everything surrounding the photo, and then the tendrils of family that come out from it. And... I was like, well, you know what? That is pretty goddamn cool. And so yeah. I picked up the book and I read it and I read it in like two nights and absolutely loved it. I thought it was a remarkable book of literary fiction, of historical fiction, of imagined fiction, and that she that it all came out of seeing this photo of this woman, you know, and, and becoming obsessed by it. And I know Marissa a little bit and I, I had her come out and talk after I read the book because I wanted to spend an hour talking to her about the book. Um, I had her come talk to uh, UC Riverside. But it's just a, a great book of literary fiction, a heartbreaking novel. You know, it, it also goes through the history of uh, depression near California. And, you know, that photo of the migrant mother, in my mind, that's in the Dust Bowl. That's in Nebraska or something. But it's not. It's in central California. Oh, and it's, you I know. I don't think I realized that either. Oh, I just I, thought I, of that photo was, yeah. I, I didn't know. I, and, and so all the history that comes about about Central California that's in the book is, is amazing. And then also about uh, the San Francisco area at the time. And she just, she goes and she does, you know, a tremendous amount of research about the world, but she also makes up, you know, everything. You know, she makes up the stories about everything. Yeah, and I was going to ask. So she didn't actually do any historical research that the whole point was to just stick to her imagination? She did. I mean, she did some. There wasn't a lot on the actual woman in the photo. There was a, a period of time, I guess, if memory serves me correct, I think it was like 1970 where the woman basically was dying and was like, you know, I never got a dime for this photo that's appeared everywhere. But the thing is, is that it's, it's part, the, the woman who took the photo, Dorothea Lange, when she took the photo originally, it was for the government as part of a study on, um, on the depression, basically, and on farm worker conditions in Central California. So this, this amazing photo has existed basically in public domain all these years. So the, there's a little bit known about the woman. But, you know, in... In Marissa's book, she, she talks about the photographer. She talks about the woman in the photo. She talks about um, a man who is researching his own family and that, how that dovetails into this woman's life. It imagines an entire world that's not about this woman's life at all um, that, mm. that Marissa Silver just makes up. And it's just a remarkably well-written and interesting novel, tremendously moving. And I don't know why I didn't think I'd like it. I mean, I like literary fiction, but just as the, I guess... The, because I knew so much, or I thought I knew so much about that photo, or I'd seen it so often, it just became sort of a trope, which is something I think Marissa Silver does so well, is that she takes this known photo and she makes it into something completely different, um, which I thought was amazing. It's just, it's just a great and interesting book and, and well worth the read for anyone who, um, who's interested in reading what I think is one of the best novels of the year. In fact, I think it was this morning I saw it, or yesterday, that it was named one of the best books of the year by 
um, by the San Francisco Chronicle. It'll be appearing on a lot of those best of lists. Yeah, I've seen cool. it already on a couple lists. Yeah, it, it's awesome. a great book. I recommend Sounds it highly. Great. It is. All right, now I think it's time for us to also pick a few other favorites. All right, favorite uh, favorite food of this year. So I'll start. My favorite food of this year. It was a big hummus year for me. I ate a shitload of hummus. Really, that's super healthy of you. Yeah, I ate a shitload of hummus. Um, so that I'm going with this as the year of the hummus for me. Uh, can Julia? I jump on here? Because I yes. saw you put this on our Facebook page, and yeah. so I had some time to think about this one. And I have a very similar answer, which is. In January of last year, which is also when I read We the Animals, so I guess it's been a downhill year for me, um, I ate, I was in Israel, I was visiting a friend in Israel, and I ate sabik, which is this incredible Israeli street food that's basically like a hummus sandwich with all kinds of other like fried eggplant and stuff in it. Mm. Oh my god, it was, it was probably the best meal of my entire life, was this Israeli street food. All right, Ryder? Um, I, well, I started off this year, I got an ice cream maker last year for Christmas, so I, I got really into making ice cream, so this was the year of ice cream for me, um, but I, 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 so That's I got really adorable. into, like, weird, That's weird, adorable. unprecedentedly cute for me, <laughs> yes. but, so I, we have, unfortunately, we have a gelato place right down the street from our house, and so, like literally almost every night this year we would get ice cream so if i i stopped i so i got really into making ice cream and then going to this gelato place and getting obscure flavors um so and and, and by the way my my big hit that i made um or my discovery that i made was earl gray ice cream oh which that is sounds actually good. a really cool flavor yeah, yeah. That and then I, I still have yet i want to make a thai iced tea ice cream which i still haven't made Ooh, but, that, sounds know, that kind of makes sense because like thai iced tea is basically already all the ingredients yeah. Yeah, it's creamy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, so I don't know. I would just say ice cream was my big one. Gelato, okay. technically. Okay, uh-huh. what, what do you got next, Todd? What's next? Um, favorite item of clothing that you wore this year? Oh. Or like the, the thing you went to over and over again? Okay, I'll go first. Okay. Last year for... <laughs> I Have you guys... Are you guys aware of the uh, the company Out of Print Books? Yes. It's a t-shirt company? Yes. I have no. one that says Gatsby on it. Oh, my God. Ryder, don't even look. I'm going to order right now. It's like you will immediately <laughs> lose $400. Uh, yes, yes. And what they do is they find the coolest old book covers of all your favorite books. And I'm actually wearing one of their shirts right now. It's a Brave New oh. World sweatshirt. Oh. Oh my god! Um, I'm totally buying everything here. This I know is horrible. it's so Why bad. Why did you introduce don't... me to this? I told you not to do it. So I Fuck. have been slowly accumulating um, out of print shirts, and um, every time I have like extra money, I will. I, I have a bunch now. So I've been wearing this Brave New World sweatshirt so often that I happen to wear it on the anniversary of Brave New World. So everyone thought I was an asshole. And <laughs> <laughs> Jane Eyre shirt, and I've wow. been going to these book shirts. I'm just embracing my life as a geek. My, my my favorite item of clothing this year, and it's in every single photo of me taken from January till about uh, November, is I got this white linen shirt that I looked, I feel like a lot like Matthew McConaughey in A Time to Kill, and I was wearing that a lot, and I, it's inappropriate this time of year to wear linen, but I feel like I might wear it again sometime soon. And then... Oddly enough, I believe I'm wearing it as well. I, I have purchased a series of t-shirts from the band The Replacements this year because I love The Replacements and they got back together. And so I bought every t-shirt they put out and I've been wearing them on a rotating basis on a pretty much daily basis subsequent <laughs> nice. to, to that. So white linen shirt and my replacements t-shirt. I made a big transition this year. Um, so in, <laughs> I can't believe 
believe we're talking about this. In 1996, <laughs> I made a very important decision in my life, which was I'm going to wear black motorcycle boots every day. And <laughs> I did. I did. I've always worn boots, like black boots. And like, you know, they used to be the, the motorcycle boots with the metal ring that everybody you know, wore oh, in the 90s. And uh, this year... Because, you know, it kept things simple, let's be honest, because you can get away with wearing yeah. boots at any event. Right. And, like, I never, the only time I had to put on tennis shoes was if I was working out. Otherwise, I could wear them in dress clothing. Boots are just the greatest. Black boots are just the most functional, you know. But so gearing up for my wedding, I was, like, buying nicer shoes to wear at the wedding that weren't necessarily boots. I mean, they ended up being boots anyway. But <laughs> I bought a pair of brown shoes, like brown leather shoes. I've never owned brown shoes in my life. And now I, and then because of that, I had to buy brown belts for the first time because you have to, you know, you can't yeah, you have leather match. brown. Yeah, you can't yeah. have black, whatever. Right. So this has been a big year for me. And now I'm obsessed with my brown leather shoes. So this is a big transition. So I'm going to say uh, these uh, brown leather shoes are my, you know, that was a, a big move away from the boot. That's black a, boot. I think that's Excellent. you know what that means. I you're, kind of feel like a grown up. You know, it was yeah, like between married, getting dude. married, uh, wearing a ring for the first time in my life, and wearing non motorcycle boots. And I, wow. I totally I, I've grown up clothing wise. This you year. have changed so much. You, you know what? America is not ready for this new rider strong in his in his brown shoes. So I, I will throw out one last uh, superlative right. for the year because close out uh, our year. All right, so my nerdiest moment of the year, I cried at my desk at work reading the Wikipedia page about Henry David Thoreau and his death. <laughs> Ooh, we're going it's nerdiest really moment? Nerdiest, nerdiest moment of the year. Moment. Nerdiest moment. All right, hold on. Nerdiest <laughs> moment. I have so many. I have so many. Are you kidding Pick me? Pick one. Yeah, yeah, this is it. You know what? I, I have my, my biggest nerdiest moment was also maybe my greatest moment of, of the year. Which is, uh, I met President Clinton, and I absolutely lost my fucking shit. I could not... Like, he... I met President Clinton at this golf tournament in, in Palm Springs that he's in charge of. And I, I... It was like him and me and my friend Maggie and these two other people. And he was standing there talking to us about golf. And I just sat there and did this. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. And I... And Wendy, my lovely wife, she was like, don't chase the president out there. It's going to be embarrassing. I'm like, no, 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 no. And I chased him out there. But it was, it was the absolute greatest moment and the nerdiest moment ever. And uh, looking at the photos, I get teary-eyed seeing, uh, seeing that. Because it might not be apparent from our show, bleeding heart liberal. Bleeding heart liberal. Really? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Okay, Ryder, what about you? Uh, I, think, I think my nerdiest is, is pretty obvious, which is that... Uh, my friend was getting married and I was getting married and so we were trying to combine our bachelor party or figure out something to do for a bachelor party and I came up with the idea of finding the Stand By Me bridge and walking across <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. And we did. That is nerdy. And we did yeah. it. We camped out and uh, there was about like uh, I would say eight of us guys that we uh, we walked across the bridge from Stand By Me. Yeah, um, nerdy. Which is closed down from the train so there's no no threat of a train coming to get us. But that was a it was sort of a life goal because I've always had an you know, obsession with that movie since I was about seven. So it was like wow. the perfect sort of signing off to you know male bonding as a kid but to walk across wow. the bridge before we got married. And That's I won't. wonderful. 
be afraid. Everybody know. And I won't know the words to the rest of this song. Stand by me. Yeah, there's only like four lyrics in the whole song. Stand by me. Well, thank you guys for a great year. It was great year. All right. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. We'll see you guys in Literary Disco Land in 2014. We'll be the geeky people in your headphones. And that's it for this episode of Literary Disco. Join us in two weeks when we read selections from Best American Short Stories 2013. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and have a happy new year. Thanks for listening.